Wayne's going around and getting their last remnant that did not get one coming in. So if you'll raise your hands, Wayne will make sure you get one for class this morning. If I don't get started on time, y'all know I'll run out of time, so. Yeah, never. Before we get started in class this morning, if you would, uh, is there anybody that has any prayer requests or announcements that need to be made? Yeah, Brother Wayne? Okay. Wayne, remember, remind me of his name. His name is Lafayette. First name? Okay. Okay. All right. Wayne's brother. I got, uh, was told this morning too, uh, Brother Hunt, Harold Hunt's going to be getting some eye surgery on Wednesday, correct? So y'all remember Brother Harold and y'all's prayers this week as he has eye surgery. Supposed to be outpatient, right? You're going home afterwards? Okay. So pray for your lovely wife that she'll take care of you, I guess, afterwards, right? (laughs) Sometimes post-op is worse than going through the operation itself. So I got you. Good. We'll try to remember it in prayers. Yes. Okay. Is he going up to Nashville with the family too? Okay. Okay. The Hillier family, y'all know Brother Donnie Hilliard uh, has obviously declined a good bit, and he is going to be going to Nashville to be near his, his daughters. I believe they're up in Nashville. And a son. Um, so they are going up there. Uh, Miss Sherry's already gone up there. So y'all just keep that family in your prayers as they try to make that transition. And of course, as he's uh, dealing with this at the end of his life and uh, hospice, of course, he's under hospice care. So there's really nothing else they can do at this point for him. And for those of y'all who didn't hear, Brother Hatcher's brother uh, has got the inoperable uh, lung cancer. And I know we've we mentioned him before previously, I think, but uh, this is a different brother. Okay, that's why the name threw me then. Okay. This is a different brother, Lafayette uh, Hatcher. Keep him in your prayers as well. Inoperable lung cancer. Anybody else before we open with prayer? Let's bow together, please. Dear God, we are so thankful for the day that you've given us and the creation that we have around us. Lord, we're thankful for another first day of the week that we can try to set our minds and our lives focusing on you and try to open up your word during this time of Bible study. And Lord, next hour as we worship and praise you during our worship, Lord, we hope that all we do is pleasing to you, and that we remember you're the focus of our worship and you're the focus of our dedication, and uh, not ourselves. But we will set aside everything in our minds to try to focus on those things that are more important and uh, that are those things which you have said we need to remember and think about. God, we ask you to be with those that are sick or those that are in the hospitals and those that are dealing with a lot of struggles. We ask you, Lord, to continue to be with the Hatcher family as they are dealing with yet another illness. And, Lord, we ask you to be with Wayne's brother as he deals with this news of the inoperable lung cancer. 
And Lord, we ask that you try to comfort him if possible, help those that are around him to be an encouragement to him. And Lord, may he turn to you for encouragement as well. Lord, we ask you to be with Brother Harold as he goes for surgery this Wednesday. Please help the doctors as they have the steady hands and as they work diligently to, to fix the issues that he is dealing with. And Lord, we ask you to please be with them as they go home and help the recovery to go well and smoothly. Lord, we ask you to be with the Hilliard family. We uh, are so thankful for the many years of dedicated service that Brother Donnie has given to your, your church. And Lord, we ask you now as he's dealing with this at the end of his life, and as his family is taking care of him, that you will be with them, that you will comfort them, give them the strength that only you can give and the peace that, that only you can understand. And Lord, we know that, that you have that, you're willing to give that to us. And Lord, may we encourage them in any way we can, but Lord, may they always turn to you for that wisdom and guidance and strength and comfort. Lord, we are most especially thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for his life on this earth. And Lord, as we embark on a study this quarter on the the miracles that he performed while here on this earth, Lord, may we open our eyes to your word. May we open our hearts to the messages that the scriptures give to us as we consider the, the wonderful and miraculous things that Jesus did and taught while he was here walking on this earth. Lord, may we never forget his sacrifice of coming to this earth and dying for us on the cross of Calvary when when we were the ones that really should have been nailed on the cross and not him. Lord, we're thankful for his sacrifice in our place. And it's through his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. We are going to be dealing with the study of the miracles of Christ this quarter in in the auditorium class. So I do encourage you to please join us if you can as uh, we go forward in this study. We have handouts. Wayne, are we out of handouts or we still have a few left? Got a few. Do you mind passing those around? I've seen several come in here at the last minute. If you'll raise your hand, we'll give you some handouts that we have left. If you haven't gotten a handout yet, but we've got a, a good study, I hope, as we embark on this. I will be honest with you, I've never taught the miracles of Christ. So this is very good for me. I'm excited about the study. I have enjoyed the uh, preliminary preparation as I've looked at the introduction lesson. And as I've looked forward to what we'll be t- talking about next week, I'm excited about that as well. Uh, just a little bit of a heads up on uh, next week's lesson will be uh, Jesus and the, the title of the lesson is Providing Food for Faith. And we're going to be looking at really three miracles of Christ, primarily turning water to wine and the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000 with the, the loaves and the fishes that we read about in the scriptures. So we're going to be looking at really Jesus' power over nature as he provides food and as he provides certain things that they are, are requesting and needing for just living and, uh, and it's, it's, a good, it's, good, it's going to be a good study, I think, as you think about Jesus' power over nature. Uh, we may not, we're going to try to avoid getting bogged down too much in the weeds on some of the, the side issues. Uh, we'll try to throw some study in there for you. I'll, I'll just go ahead and give you a heads up. I don't intend to get into too deep about whether or not this wine is alcoholic or not in the, the miracle at Cana of Galilee. Uh, I'll give you some citations and some notes, and you can do your, your own study, and, and I think it'll be a good study for you to do if you're interested in that. That's not the point of the miracle, to be quite honest with you. Uh, so as we go forward in this study, I want to look at the miracles of Christ. I want to look at what he did, who he did it to, why he did it, and what lessons that we can kind of garner from those. You're going to see a handout. Hopefully you got a handout already for the quarter. And I'm going to kind of explain it real quickly before we get bogged down in this lesson. Uh, kind of an overview about what the handout is and what I encourage you to do with it. Uh, I have actually given you a full text outline or a full text handout. Uh, that I have um, pretty much adapted from several different articles. And I give the credit to whom credit's due in here. 
this week I use an article from Brother Dave Miller. I use an excerpt from that and have adapted it for our handout. And I also use an article from Brother Wayne Jackson, two men in the brotherhood that know much more than I ever will know. Uh, and uh, so I have leaned upon them for their good writing on those. So look at that. I'm, I'm going to use those points as we go through. I probably will not read it to you. I don't like teachers that just read to you. So uh, take this home, study on it some more as we go forward, and uh, hopefully you'll get some more knowledge from that. If you want to look at the articles online, there is more information on those articles. Like I said, I've adapted them, so I've deleted some of the stuff uh, because they just can't all fit on here. So um, look at that, and it will give you some more information. The other thing that I wanted to point out to you is I'm going to challenge the class. I don't think we do enough personal Bible study. And to be quite honest with you, I don't study as much during the week unless I'm teaching Bible class. Uh, and I know you all uh, probably are very like me on that. Uh, that's one reason why I like being a teacher and teaching Bible class, because it forces me to study more. Uh, and so it's one of those pressure things. And I tell my wife that, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it can be inconvenient, but it helps me personally. And it helps me to really dig into it and try and look at issues and read and study. And I stay up way too late doing it. But, you know, I still enjoy doing it because it forces me into the Bible. What I want to do is encourage you this quarter. If you'll look on the inside of your handout, inside right of the handout, there is a class assignment section. And I intend to use that every week in these handouts. And what I want to do is, as you get done with this lesson today, hopefully you'll look at those class assignments. For one, uh, one section looks at reflection, and it's kind of to encourage you to think about what we've studied, think about the, the points, and as you'll see, there's a couple of questions that I ask you to look into and kind of do a little bit of uh, further study for yourself. Uh, additionally, you have application, and it's some points there that I try to encourage you maybe to apply our lesson uh, in your life today. And I hope that as we go through these, parab- uh, these parables, these miracles, that you will be able to apply the lessons that we get from the miracles of Christ into your own life. Now, obviously, it's a different place and time. It may not be exactly uh, the way it was when Christ walked on the earth. However, the principles and the, and the lessons we get from them, I believe, are going to be applicable for us as we go forward. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of lessons, I hope, that we can apply to our lives. And then finally, you see the preparation section. My wife's a school teacher. Uh, she teaches kindergarten. Of course, there's not as much prep going to kindergarten. Uh, I will tell you, though, we have homework. It's amazing. Mar- Marley comes home with homework from kindergarten, and we had to sit down and do homework, so she's prepared to go to class the next day. And so what I am encouraging you to do is maybe take the preparation section, more so than even the first two, to prepare for the next week. So as I'm preparing for my class the next week, you also can prepare for the class and hopefully have some type of an understanding of what we're going to be studying when we get here. If you look, it's really not that difficult, guys. Uh, what I encourage you to do this week is to look at the parables we're going to be reading and studying next week. Three parables. Some of them have multiple versions uh, from the different gospel accounts. Read those, study those, think about them, compare them, uh, see what is different, what is the same in those different accounts in the gospels, because we're going to talk about that. Uh, as we go forward in our lessons. And then, of course, thirdly, is consider some possible lessons that may be uh, involved with those uh, parables as you read them. Think about how can they be applicable to us even today? What can I garner from them? And so what I'm hoping to do is challenge you to do a little more studying. I'm going to do more studying, obviously, because I have to. I'm teaching class. I don't have a choice, right? You don't want me up here unprepared. But I want to challenge you. Take the handouts with you and read them uh, study, if you can, for the next lesson. Try to, try to make this class as relevant and as, as pertinent for you as possible. 
Uh, you'll see also on the handout, there's the back, back side of the back page is going to be our text, our main texts that we have for our class. It's using the English Standard Version here as we go forward. So uh, and we, we look at some of the scriptures. You're going to have some on the back page. Obviously, there'll be others that we turn to in our scriptures as well. And, and I encourage you to make sure and have your Bibles with us during Bible study. But I believe truly that the miracles that Christ performed in the New Testament have wonderful and amazing lessons even for us today. I think that we sometimes look at the miracles of Christ and think, oh, wow, they were so pertinent and relevant at that time. And they were. Don't get me wrong. We're going to get into the purpose of miracles in this class today. But I think that we as Christians can even look at the miracles of Christ and apply many of the lessons that we learn there from either Christ or maybe the apostles that are surrounding him during the time of the miracles, or maybe it's the one who's experienced that miracle in their life. There's a lot of people who are healed, people who are raised from the dead. There are people who, who have totally, completely changed their life because Christ literally touched their life and touched them. And, and I think we can take a lot of those lessons to our own lives and apply some of those things to us so that, in essence, we somewhat experience the miracles of Christ as well. Uh, we will not get too much into uh, other miracles in the Bible today in the introductory comments and the study this morning. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit more than just the miracles of Christ, per se, because some of the scriptures, I think, speak to the purpose of miracles on a larger scale. But we're going to focus really on the miracles that Jesus Christ himself performed while he lived here. Uh, if for some reason we have time in this class, I'd like to look at the greatest miracle of all, and that would be the incarnation and the birth of Christ. I think that would be something for us to look at and to think about. We may not get there, though. Y'all know how my classes get. Sometimes we uh, have one lesson that takes three weeks to finish. So we'll just see how that goes. But there are a lot of other miracles, what I'm saying is outside of what Christ himself specifically did while here on earth, that we could talk about. Uh, Old Testament miracles, other New Testament miracles, especially those done and performed by the apostles. You know, you have those type of miracles as well that are performed. And as we go to this lesson today, I think what you're going to see is the purpose for those miracles are all the same. It's the same purpose, whether it is a, a miracle performed by Christ or a miracle performed by the apostles, or maybe it was a miracle performed by Moses in the Old Testament. You know, whatever that miracle might be, the, the, the purpose and the point of that miracle remains the same. And so I want us to kind of think about that purpose as we go forward in our study today. Now, there's a story that's told about a, a little nine-year-old boy uh, named Danny who came bursting home from, from Sunday school like a wild stallion. His, his eyes were so excited. They were darting in every direction as he, he tried to locate either mom or dad. He was so excited to, to come from Bible class. And I think a lot of us kind of see that sometimes as our kids come out from Bible class. They, they run to us. They're so excited about what they study. They show us their coloring sheets or, or whatever other little activity they, they did during Bible class. And that's what little Danny did as he came out and was trying to find his mom or dad. Finally, after a quick search, he found his dad. And uh, he grabbed him by the leg and he said, Daddy, that, that story of Moses and all those people crossing the Red Sea was great. His father looked down and he smiled and he said, well, son, tell me about it. What did you learn? He said, well, the Israelites got out of Egypt, but Pharaoh and his army chased after them. Uh, the Jews, they ran as fast as they could till they got to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army was getting closer and closer. So Moses got, Moses got on his walkie-talkie, and he told the Israel, Israeli Air Force to bomb the Egyptians. And, and while that was happening, the Israeli uh, Navy built a pontoon bridge so the people could cross over, and they made it. You can just imagine the look on his father's face if you know the story of 
the crossing of the Red Sea. And his dad looked perplexed. He was, he was shocked. He said, is that the way they taught you the story? And Danny said, well, no, not exactly, he admitted. He, but if I told you the way they told it to us, you'd never believe it, Dad. Right? Who believes, who believes the miracles sometimes? Those people who have outright doubt, skepticism that miracles even existed. And we can't get into all the proof necessarily because a lot of the proof relies upon faith, to be quite honest with you. I mean, there are stories in the, the history of the, the Jewish nation and Josephus and other historical writers that, that talk about the fact that Jesus was known for doing great signs and wonders and, and even miracles to the people. But you still have those skeptics, those people who, who question whether Christ really did what he did. Even in the Old Testament, the idea that, that the Israelite army here came to the Red Sea and at the point of coming to the Red Sea, that, that Moses held up his rod and the sea parted and the wall was so high on both sides they walked across on dry land. And people have a hard time believing that. And, and I honestly somewhat understand that. If you don't have faith, you're not going to believe a lot of things. And so you see a lot of, of what we are going to talk about, a lot of the, the things that we are going to consider are things that, even like little Danny says, Dad, if I told you how it really happened, according to the story, you might not believe it. Because they are so phenomenal. They are so supernatural. That in fact, the miracles amaze us even today. I think it's something that we look at that sometimes we can't explain, so a lot of times we don't study or teach it even sometimes. I, I think it's a good story for kids. But how many of you have really had it? I just want to show of hands. How many of y'all have ever studied the miracles of Christ as an adult that you recall? A couple. And I think that's because as, as adults, I've heard sermons every now and then. I've never heard probably a whole quarter of study on it. In fact, I called my dad when I was supposed to be starting to teach this. I'm trying to find a book, of the, the, a study book, a guide that I can use so I don't have to make up every lesson. Guess what? I can't really find one. I can, I've got books. My dad sent me a pile of books, but they're sermons on the miracles. They're not really Bible class study materials. You can look and you can find different um, apologetics type things on the miracles. But you don't really see an adult Bible study on the miracles. You know, it's one of those things that's not common. We can take a book of the Bible and go through it a little easier probably than even studying and contemplating the miracles. Why? Because it's so amazing. It's so supernatural. It's so something that we're not used to, that we can't even fathom really today, that Christ spit on the dirt made some mud, put it on somebody's eyes, and then instead of being blind, they could see. We cannot fathom the fact that Christ called out and said, Lazarus, come forth. A man who had been stinking because he had already been in the tomb for three days. And Lazarus walked forth from the tomb. We can't fathom that. Well, those miracles don't happen today. We can get into the whole idea, and we will later on if we get to it in the class, and thinking about the fact that there's a lot of people who claim miracles happen today, but they're not the same. It's not the same kind of miracles. And you want to stack up the miracles that people try to claim are miracles today to the miracles that occurred in the Bible, and there's no way they measure up. No way. The miracles of Christ 
always outweigh those. Why? Because of the nature of the miracles and what they were about and, and what the people saw. And really it boils down to what the purpose of the miracles were because it was so important to have those miracles at that point in the time. Which ones? The things that Christ did? Well, I, the question is, is would they be considered miracles today? And I think that's going to get into kind of the point of our study this morning. As you think about it, what is a miracle? And I think really before you can get into what a miracle really is, you've got to understand two different things. And before we start classifying things as miracles, you've got to understand two things, I believe. First of all, you've got to think about what a miracle is. So you're going to deal with what the, the, the purposes of a miracle are. You're going to look at what uh, the, the intent would be for a miracle. And you're also going to look at what I think is the, um, the characteristics of the miracle. And, and you look at those two things, the purpose and the characteristics of miracles, and it's going to start revealing to you whether or not, Emmy, I think we can classify it as a miracle. I said I think you can look at the purposes and the characteristics, and that's going to be what tells you whether we can call it a miracle or not. And I will tell you from my studying right here at the outset that the many things that are called miracles today do not qualify under the definition of what the Bible talks about a miracle being. They're not. They may be providential fulfillment of prayer. I'm not saying prayer doesn't work. You get in a real philosophical discussion, you start saying, well, I don't believe in miracles, but I believe in the power of prayer. Really? Um, because if you believe in the power of prayer, obviously God can be doing some things that, that uh, you would consider miraculous. Are they a biblical miracle? I would say no. I would think they are the fulfillment of what God allows to occur. He reaches down somewhat. And allows things to occur. He allows things to occur providentially. He gives us doctors who have the healing hands and the ability to, to help someone recover because they understand human anatomy and the human body and how to treat things. Is that a miracle? Well, you could say, oh, it's a miracle to me that this person is now well. It's a miracle to me that my father-in-law is not dead today. Last year we were dealing with it, and Monica and I, we were, I think the other day we were talking about it. We're just glad to have him with us, you know, right now. And that's because when you get so sick and you get in the hospital for so long and you struggle, and some of y'all know this. Some of y'all experience it in your families or you experience maybe even on your own, that you get down, you get to the point where it's like you're not going to recover. Then all of a sudden, somehow, you recover. And in your mind, you may think, oh, this is a miracle. But it's not a miracle in the true biblical sense. It's a miracle in your mind, the fact that something has occurred that you didn't think was going to happen to you. Or the same thing with other situations. But it's not necessarily a, a, a biblical miracle on the same kind of level as we think about in the Bible. Look real quickly on the back of your handout. If you want to turn your Bibles, you can do that as well. Three passages that I want to kind of point out this morning as we em, embark on this study of the miracles. Uh, looking at the purpose, the meaning behind why are miracles performed? Why are miracles needed? Why were they necessary in the Bible? For us to have and to see and for the people really there to see. Contextually, miracles probably are more important for those who actually perceive them real time. Does that make sense? They're important for us today too, don't get me wrong. But realistically, the miracles were contextually more important for those who stood there and actually observed and saw what was going on. And we'll get to the reason why. Maybe you can understand or think about it. But when you look at the reason behind miracles, look at these passages with me. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We know this passage of Scripture, of course, is a conversation or is the aftermath, so to speak, uh, of Moses trying to get out of going to, to talk to Pharaoh and getting the people to, to, out of Egypt land. And you look in chapter 4 there, verses 
want to write. Read them with me here. This is what Moses and and God were were talking about here. Moses answered in verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to me, my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand. He caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Look. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 through 39. And if you see here, of course, contextually here, do you know what was occurring in 1 Kings chapter 18? Anybody know? Anybody remember? Jim. That's right. Prophets of Baal, you see in 17 and 18. That's right. The sacrifice of the burnt offerings. You got Prophets of Baal, which are about 500 in number, if I remember correctly, versus Elijah. All right, you want to talk about a competition there on the battlefield. This isn't like the Food Network, you know, challenge. This is, this is the sacrificial challenge here. You got, food, you got uh, the Prophets of Baal putting their, their, their sacrifice on the altar. Then you got little old Elijah, the last prophet of God, standing alone against all these Prophets of Baal. They were having a competition that Elijah had said, hey, let's do this. I'll prove to you. What it is. Look at what uh, verses 36 through 39 say right here. It says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, I, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all the things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Look, New Testament, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. There's several, a bunch of other New Testament verses we'll try to get to. If not, you've got them in your handout to look at. But look at Mark 16, verse 20 here. And this, of course, was the idea of the, 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 the disciples being sent out. If you'll remember the end of Mark, of course, Christ there had risen from the dead. He sent out his, his disciples, his apostles, to go out and teach the gospel, much like that a great commission we read about in Matthew chapter 18. The parallel here is in Mark chapter 16. And you see here this verse here in verse 20. This is after he gives them the commandment there to go out. He says, And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. When you look at the the purpose behind what we have uh, for uh, the uh, miracles in the Bible, you see several different things. And there's a great article there, that, like I said, that I excerpted from uh, Dave Miller dealing with the purpose of miracles. But real quickly here, I think preliminarily what you can see in Mark 16, I think does a good job of introducing this concept to us in the New Testament. The signs and the wonders and the miracles that God would use through the men that he used them through. 
is that they confirmed either the message or the messenger in the New Testament. Again, let me repeat that. The miracles were used to confirm the message or the messenger in the New Testament. Now, how do I say that? Well, you look in in the, the passages of Scripture in the New Testament, and you'll see this recurring theme throughout why and when the miracles occurred. Uh, In the Old Testament, you'll see it many times, and we just read the passage in Exodus, where God is saying, hey, Moses, the reason why they will know that I send you, the reason that the people of Israel will know that I've got your back, the people of Israel will know you have my authority, is why? Because you can show them these signs, and they will see that you have got my power. These signs, these miracles that even Moses did way back when in Exodus chapter 4 were to confirm the message and the messenger as he went forward there and spoke to the people of Israel. Same thing in 1 Kings. The message there, Elijah, until he's blue in the face, figuratively speaking. He's probably red in the face after this fire. Um, But as he stood there and he prayed to God to send fire to consume this burnt offering to show them that he was the one true God. The way that God confirmed that is he made this supernatural miracle, this sign, this wonder appear before all the people there, before the prophets of Baal, before all those in Israel. He showed them who was God. He showed them who was the boss by sending that miracle and consuming the burnt offering and everything around it. And so what you see is the confirmation of both the message and the messenger, which really were hand in hand. You can't confirm the message without confirming the messenger. You can't confirm the messenger without confirming the message. The whole purpose behind that was to send and use miracles. Now you see in the Bible real quickly here as we think about the purpose of miracles, there was several confirmations and the things that we see uh, as you think about confirming the message and the messenger. You can think about Acts chapter 8. Uh, In verse 9, the fact that uh, the signs and the wonders were used to confirm the message of Christ against false teachers. Look real quickly over Acts chapter 8. If you'll remember this story here, this of course occurred in the early church. And in Acts chapter 8, you see here that the uh, individual that we know of is Simon, who was, we call him Simon the sorcerer sometimes. I think that's just a catchy way to say it. He was evidently someone who practiced magic in the area of Samaria. Uh, and uh, he astonished the people. He tried to claim to be somebody great. And so what you see is the, the God or Christ and uh, all of uh, what he had to present to the people wanted it to be confirmed against these who were speaking incorrectly, these false teachers. And so what you see is signs and wonders and miracles being used against these false teachers to confirm the word against them. And so you see here as, as Peter and, and, and I think it's John... Yeah, Peter and John went forward here against uh, Simon the sorcerer. They used the miracles there, the great signs that they were able to perform against false prophets. The, the, The signs and wonders confirmed the message and the messenger against the false prophets. You also see the purpose of miracles being confirming the message of Christ and his claim for deity. The message of Christ, of course, was that, hey, I am the Son of God. I come here to save the world. I am the one who is the sacrificial lamb that has been prophesied for. And you see multiple passages in the the gospel of John. And then, of course, even as you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22, the idea here that, that the message of Christ 
was the one that, hey, these miracles, these signs, and these wonders were helping to gird and to help to promote and to help to uh, bring about the, the belief and the faith that this message was in fact true. Look, verse 22 of Acts 2, we know this, of course, the first recorded sermon there, the day of Pentecost, when, when Peter got up and spoke, and it says, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with what? Miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Peter's trying to tell the people here, Jesus was in fact the Son of God. He was, this man of Nazareth was the one who, who God had promised to you. How do we know that? How is that message, how is that messenger confirmed? Well, we know specifically, verse 22 says, with the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he performed in your midst. You saw it. You saw it. You cannot deny his deity. You cannot deny his power. You cannot deny his authority. Why? Because he brought unto you these signs and these wonders and these miracles to help attest to you who he was, and that what he said was in fact true. The message, uh, the miracles did not necessarily uh, just confirm his claim of deity, but it also was able to, to translate into confirming faith in his disciples. The message, the messenger, when you confirm the message in the messenger, it ultimately will bring about faith. In somebody, you'll kind of see this as it's a common theme, and in the handout, there's a little diagram in the bottom left corner there dealing with the idea that signs bring about the confirmation of the word. The word was presented to hearers, and the word, of course, being presented and then accepted by hearers translates into faith. And so, the confirmation of the word of the messengers brings about faith in the disciples. Of course, that's directly applicable, I believe, to us today. And you can kind of see the parallels, and we can really get into the parallels there. The idea is that the signs and the wonders and the miracles confirm the word. And in fact, you see the book of John. John talks about them being the witnesses. The witnesses. And of course, me being a lawyer, we've got to have witnesses. I've got a big case this week in court. I've got to call witnesses to the trial. Why? Because without witnesses, I can't establish the testimony. I can't establish what the facts are in the case. I can't put forth my case and prove the point that I'm wanting to prove. Why? I've got to have testimony. I've got to have witnesses. Well, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, all these miracles that Christ performed became a witness for him and for the word that was spoken by him, the message which he wanted to convey to the people about him being the Son of God and being the one that's going to be the, the, the one that dies uh, for the sins of the world. It confirms that word. Even for us today, it confirms it for us. We can have the faith and the knowledge. Why? Because God's signs, wonders, and miracles performed, confirmed his deity, confirmed the fact that uh, his word and the teachings which he spoke were true. And that word itself, when we hear the word, when we understand the word, what, what does Romans ten seventeen say? Faith comes by hearing, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I had to sing a little ditty. It's always in my head. That's what, Doug, that's what Mr. Doug teaches our kids, right? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. How do we know the word of God is important? How do we know that it's true? How do we know that it's accurate? We know that because God confirmed that. 
When he confirms the word, it brings about faith. In the New Testament, you see multiple times uh, where Christ's disciples heard the word. They were able to respond to the word. They were able to understand the fact that, that hearing and seeing go hand in hand in the New Testament when these miracles were part of the equation. And you see one of the great examples, and it's mentioned there in your handout there, the, the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus. Uh, you see there that the miracle that, that Paul performed uh, and brought attention to Sergius Paulus, it caused him to recognize that Paul had this gospel message and in fact then translated and generated the interest for him to go forward and to believe and to obey the gospel. You can't help it. You shouldn't be able to help it. I don't see how the people avoided it in the, in the first century. I, I don't understand how, if you see Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, that you won't miss that. Now, maybe they didn't all know. I mean, there's 5,000 people. They may not have seen there's only five loaves and two fishes. Maybe they thought he had some smorgasbord, you know, back here and back behind some secret curtain or something. He was just bringing out a bunch of loaves and fishes. I don't know what they thought. But let's go even further. The ones who saw Lazarus come forth... After being wrapped up and placed in the grave, how can they not believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I don't know how they cannot. I don't. I don't know how they don't have the faith that comes from hearing and seeing what is occurring around them. What about us? What about us? Can we read these things and not have true faith that would bring about faithful obedience? Can we do that? I don't know how we can. It frustrates me. It makes me feel bad whenever I falter and fail because I look back and I say, how can I do that? I know, I know, and when I know I cannot turn my back on things and I shouldn't turn my back on things. It gives me the guilt, which I believe is righteous guilt, to change my life and do things better, to be better, to be a better Christian, to be a better dad, to be a better husband, to be a better father, you know, whatever it might be, being a better lawyer even. Whatever it is in your life, how can you not change? How can you not have this faith that brings about because of that confirmed word? Well, in the first century, the miracles confirmed the word of God. They confirmed the message that Christ presented to them. And because of that, it confirmed faith in all the disciples there. You also see several other things. It confirmed more than just mere compassion. A lot of people will argue that the only thing that the miracles did is show the compassion of Christ. I say baloney. I say baloney. Why? Well, you can look in your hand. Now, there's a lot of different examples there that you can see. The miracles were performed on a whole diverse group of people. It was performed on some who had no faith. Why did they have no faith? They didn't know who Jesus Christ was. They had no idea. But yet they were healed. Jesus' miracles were performed on, I know, at least one man. I think there's maybe some other examples. But one man because his four friends had faith. It wasn't because he had faith. It's because his four friends had faith. He was sick. He, he may not have been conscious for all we know. It wasn't his faith. It wasn't just compassion on him. Think of all the ones that Jesus didn't heal. Are we then to say that Jesus didn't fulfill his duty to, to heal everybody? And think about this. If, if Jesus' uh, miracles were only for the sole purpose of showing compassion, well, why didn't he go out of that little area in Galilee? You know? There's a lot more people than just right there around the Sea of Galilee, right? But yet that's where his miracles were all performed. Think about that as well. His miracles were much, much more than just for the purpose of showing God's compassion. Now, obviously, a byproduct of performing these miracles on individuals shows that Jesus had compassion. And we're going to talk about that. I think there's some very intimate moments to show that the, the Son of God 
that our Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, had some, some emotional, physical, uh, intimate connection with those that he was around. I mean, he wept at Lazarus' death. He, he, he touched the face of those who were blind. You know, there, there are situations where we see his compassion, obviously, as a, as a byproduct, but that was not the sole purpose or the reason that he performed the miracles. The miracle's purpose was much more than compassion. It confirmed much, much more than Jesus was compassionate, that God loves us. God loves us all, John 3, 16, there's no doubt. God loves everybody. So there would not be an argument, I don't believe, that, that was coherent or logical to say that the miracles, all they were, were to confirm that he had compassion on those who were sick or who were blind or whatever. It, it had a much deeper reason behind it. Because God loves everyone, why would he not just heal everybody? If that's the case, God's compassionate, he's loving. The miracles weren't just to show that. It was to show much, much more. And additionally, as I kind of alluded to a second ago, I kind of jumped the gun. It was much, much more than just confirming that someone had faith. There are situations, as I said a minute ago, where a man was healed because of the faith of his friends. There are situations and miracles that we see in the New Testament where the individual was dead. There's no indication they had faith whatsoever or the capacity or ability to create faith. Now, obviously, I think Lazarus probably had faith in Christ. He was a very close personal friend. He saw the signs and wonders likely as, as he lived his life. So he probably had faith. But the idea of him having faith when he was dead, that doesn't make any sense. So the, the idea of them being healed just because they have faith is not exactly true. In fact, it, there's multiple arguments against the, the miracles being just because, hey, you've got faith. You see today, and this is one of the, the arguments I have against all the miracles we have today. What is one reason why you, you usually hear a miracle doesn't work? Well, they just didn't have enough faith. They needed more faith. You know what? That wasn't even a factor with Christ doing miracles. It didn't matter what your faith was. In fact, you could have no faith. You could be a child, <laughs> a child laying sick in the bed, not even know what was going on and your father go to Jesus and say, please heal my daughter. You could be someone who is a nobleman and, and had some type of a servant or a slave and that servant or slave, we don't know what they believed or if they even believed, but we know the nobleman believed and he said, Lord, please heal my beloved servant. And Jesus did it. He didn't say, okay, well, how much faith does he have? Of course, Christ knows we know everything, but there wasn't any kind of analysis. There wasn't any indication that faith was a prerequisite for a miracle to be informed. In fact, it's just the opposite. You have a whole diverse uh, schematic of people believing, not believing, not having the ability to believe and have faith. You got that whole diverse ability there of individuals who had miracles that occurred to them. Miracles were not for the purpose of confirming faith in others. And it was not required that you have faith in order to a miracle to uh, come upon you or someone you loved. It was that Jesus had a higher purpose. That was not a confirmation of belief, but more importantly, what we're going to see is it was a confirmation of what Christ is and what Christ says. Miracles' purposes are much deeper than these superficial things that sometimes people try to latch upon. Robert.
no doubt. Why, why can, and I hope y'all, I don't know if y'all heard Robert's comment or not, but he said it's about authority. It's about authority, and it is. Why would you need to confirm the message and the messenger? Why? To show they have authority. That's exactly what it is. To place Christ not just equal to the local rulers, but in fact what you're doing is you're placing Christ above the local rulers. Now, that's why they didn't like him. You can go back to the New Testament context, context there. That he didn't, they didn't like Christ because it's not that Christ was trying to take their jobs from them. He wasn't trying to be the, the, the priest. He wasn't trying to be the governor. He wasn't trying to be the rulers of the people. What Christ did is he exerted his authority over them and said that, hey, you've got to listen to me. Why? Because I'm the son of God. Listen to me. He didn't really care about the political structure. He didn't care about even really the religious structure at that time because he was instituting a new one, to be quite honest with you. He didn't care. His, his whole point in principle was to come down here to die for us, but in order to do that and to lay the foundation for that scheme of salvation, the scheme of redemption that he had in place when he left this earth, was to make sure that faith was brought about. And the only reason you can bring faith about is to confirm the one speaking and teaching the words. Miracles allowed the purpose of God, allowed the, the confirmation of who he was and what he was to be established so he would have the authority, so that he would have the ability to teach and to preach to those words of wisdom to the people there in the first century. Look at your handouts before next week as well. Look at those characteristics. I didn't get to them. I'm sorry. Characteristics of a miracle. You're going to see there's a lot of things there. And Emmy, I think this really answers your question more so than the purpose does. Looking at some of the lingering, the essential characteristics I believe the Bible talks about that miracles had to have. And you're going to see that in the scriptures. You're going to see the the several different things. Uh, Look at your handouts. If you don't have one, let me know. I'll get you one. But the idea is there are certain things that occurred in the miracles of Christ that really don't even occur today to these supposed miracles. You know, the, the idea of an image of the Virgin Mary on some piece of toast or whatever it is. I mean, how is that a miracle in the biblical sense? You know, how is some of these things that people try to say occurred truly a biblical miracle? They're not. And the reason they're not is because the characteristics, those things which are seen in the Bible as occurring for a miracle, don't occur today. Besides the whole fact we don't need the purpose anymore. We didn't get to get into the durability, the duration of a miracle. Look at that on your own. I think it's a good way to study a little bit more on miracles. Uh, If we have time in our study, we may touch on it as we go along the idea miracles aren't needed anymore why we just talked about the purpose the purpose was confirming the word confirming the message confirming the messenger is that needed anymore today i would say no it's not we have god's inspired word here when those things came to completeness first corinthians 13 there's no necessarily no more need for all the miraculous anymore we don't need those signs and wonders and miracles why we got the word already confirmed here for us Look forward next week. Read, water turned to wine, feeding the 4,000, 5,000. Let's be prepared to study together next Sunday. Thank you so much.